Hello everyone and welcome back to Bit Did They Do It podcast. I'm your host McKinley Daw and I just want to start off by saying that I'm sorry there's been no episode in the past few weeks. Finals were kind of crazy and I moved back home on top of all that for the summer so things were definitely a little busy and I kind of had to put the episodes on the back burner so that's like the last thing on my mind unfortunately. But now I am back for the summer, so I should be coming out with episodes pretty regularly. Um, I am doing online classes throughout spring and summer, but it's like not that intense. So like, episodes will probably still be coming out every Tuesday. Anyways, I also just wanted to thank everyone who has supported the podcast throughout the past year since we've had a year of the podcast recently. If you didn't see, go see the Instagram post. I bought a cake. It's really good, actually, and it was really cute. Anyways, it really does mean the world, and hopefully it'll grow more, because I honestly love to do this. Um, Obviously, it's not huge, but it's one of my favorite things to do, so I'm excited to keep going for another year. Anyways, with that being said, let's hop into today's episode. Today we will be talking about an innocent wife and daughter murdered and found in their own home. The husband accused and framed for their murder, and an infamous serial killer behind it all trying to cover his tracks no matter who got in the way. This is the story of the murders of Beryl and Geraldine Evans and the wrongful conviction and execution of Timothy Evans. Timothy Evans was born in 1924 in Wales. For some important context to the story, Timothy had a learning disability that caused him to never learn to read or write anything other than his own name. His father left when he was just a little kid, leaving his single mom to handle three small children. In 1939, the Evans family moved to the Notting Hill District in London which was a little sketchy at the time. Under the constant bombing of the Nazis in London, since this is amidst World War II, the small family barely made ends meet, especially during wartime. In 1947, Timothy met and married Beryl Thorley, who was only 18 at the time. According to the Watford Observer records, Beryl was about as smart as her husband. She couldn't barely read or write either. Only a few months into their marriage, Beryl became pregnant with their daughter, Geraldine, and the couple moved into an upstairs flat at 10 Rillington Place. The marriage was strained from the beginning. Timothy drank very heavily and was abusive towards Beryl. So the pre- on top of the pregnancy, the abuse, and the financial struggles on top of everything else, it's safe to say Timothy wasn't ecstatic about the thought of having another mouth to feed. And much to Timothy's dismay, Geraldine was born on October 10th, I'm assuming 1948, but sources weren't very clear on the year exactly. Over a year later, on November 30th, 1949, Timothy Evans walked into the police station in South Wales. He told the officer on duty that he was worried for the safety of his child, Geraldine. The officer obviously asked him where the baby's mother was. Dead, he told them. 
She died in unusual circumstances. Okay, weird way to explain that. But the police questioned him further, asking in what unusual circumstances did she die? Timothy explained that Beryl had become pregnant again shortly after the birth of their first child. It wasn't exactly joyous news since, once again, the family was struggling financially and just couldn't afford another child. So they decided to secretly abort the baby. They went to a man who had given Timothy a liquid that was supposedly abort the child. And abortions were illegal at this time in the UK, so everything is kind of under the table and a bit um, really sketchy and not very safe. Timothy had given the liquid to Beryl. I don't know if she knew what was happening or not, or if this is something they both agreed to, to abort this baby, or if it was just Timothy doing this. I'm not exactly sure. And Timothy said that the liquid had killed her. And since abortions were illegal, Timothy told police that he was afraid of people finding out, and so he had stuffed her body down a manhole outside the house where he lived, and he had arranged for Geraldine to be looked after so he could lay low. And in case you don't know what a manhole is, like on the streets, those like circles in the ground with like the grates on top, that's a manhole. Now, obviously, the police are intrigued by this confession and they go to the manhole where Timothy said he had stuffed his wife's body. It took three officers to pull the cover off to look inside the manhole. So cops concluded before they even looked in the manhole that there would likely be nobody inside of it. There would be no way one man could have pulled the cover off the manhole by himself since it took three officers to pull it off. And the police were right that right there was nobody in the manhole, nobody. After this initial search turned up nothing, Timothy changed his story. Timothy said that his wife died because a tenant who lives in a flat in the same building as he and Beryl had been the ones to abort the child with whom Beryl was pregnant. The tenant was John Reginald Christie, which if any of you are as into true crime as I am, you might know who this is, but we'll go into detail on him later. Police went to the flat to interview John Christie, but he simply denied the allegations and the police just left. And they just decided that Timothy was unhinged and crazy and just made up this whole ordeal for attention or something like that. So they just left it alone. Even though this man is claiming that his wife and daughter are probably dead, his wife for sure, his daughter is nowhere to be found. They just decide to leave it alone. Don't decide to check up on that, anything. They just leave it. A little while later, when it became even more apparent that Beryl and Geraldine Evans had actually disappeared, which, duh, the police returned to the flat to search it. In this search, they found the decomposing bodies of Beryl and Geraldine in a small wash house. And as far as I understand, a wash house would have just been where they did their laundry. The whole layout of the flats in this building is super unusual and kind of hard to understand, especially later in the story, but I believe they were found in the wall. Is kind of how and where things are found later. That's what makes me think that. I'll go over that later. 
is kind of weird. I'll include a picture on the Instagram post if you want to go take a look at that. Hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense. Timothy Evans was then arrested and charged with the murder of his wife and child and gave two statements to the police confessing to the crimes. A while later, it turned out these so-called confessions had been written by police and Timothy just signed them after they were read to him. Even though these confessions were read to him, like we talked about earlier, he still wasn't very smart. So he likely didn't have a good understanding of what was happening to him and what he was signing exactly. He could barely read or write his own name, much less understand this kind of complicated murder confession that he was signing, even though it was read to him, right? And honestly, this is a common thing that happens throughout lots of wrongful convictions throughout America, and now it seems to be throughout the world, since this is taking place in the UK. There are several different cases where false confessions are signed, the person who signed them doesn't really understand what they're signing exactly, which is a major part of, obviously, confessing to a crime is understanding what you're kind of agreeing to and confessing to. On January 11th, 1950, Timothy was brought to trial only for the murder of Geraldine. I don't know why this is, because he was initially charged with the murder of his wife and daughter, but he was only brought to trial for the murder of Geraldine. Now, in the UK, their court system is obviously different from America's, just to briefly explain, in the UK, you don't have a prosecution. His job is to prove that a person is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, which is how it is here. In fact, it's the opposite. The person who committed the crime has the burden of proving that they are innocent. Which, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but also it's kind of weird that it's switched. It's very different from what we're used to. Timothy Evans' lawyer was Malcolm Morris, and according to Catherine Ramsland, who was writing for True TV, said this about Malcolm Morris, quote, It was as if he thought him obviously guilty and had no reason to expend any effort, end quote. In the UK, they do have the right to call upon the assistance of a lawyer of their choice, but rarely do people get public defenders since there are only small numbers of them. So this is likely someone that Timothy had hired. Um, obviously, the, he was having financial struggles. He probably couldn't afford a nice, fancy lawyer, which most can't. It's really hard to get a nice, fancy lawyer. It's so expensive. But so he likely just picked one, not really going deep into whether or not his lawyer thought he was guilty or not. Um, personally, I think it was wrong it is wrong for any lawyer to take a case in which he believes this client is guilty. Why would you do that? How do you adequately represent someone and try to prove their innocence if you believe they are guilty? So even though Timothy didn't really know what he was doing in picking a lawyer, the lawyer should have never taken the case in the first place because he thought he was guilty, clearly. Timothy's defense basically focused on the fact that he had withdrawn his confessions, basically saying, oh, I didn't say that. And they just asserted that John Christie did it, not Timothy Evans. John Christie even testified as a witness. And I 
obviously there aren't cameras and stuff in the courtroom at this time. According to the articles that I read, he gave very compelling testimony. And Timothy Evans also got on the stand. And I think John Christie's um, testimony really discredited Timothy Evans because he probably just sounded smarter. He had a high IQ, so people probably just trusted him and believed him because he was smarter. The jury only took 40 minutes to deliberate, and they found Timothy Evans guilty of the murder of his daughter, Geraldine. The trial judge then sentenced him to death. Timothy Evans was hanged in Pentonville Prison just three months later, and he maintained his innocence up until the very end. Now, that isn't the end of our story, even though you think it might be. There is much more to this story than what you see on the surface of a man who supposedly killed his wife and daughter. Um, he was a drunk, he was abusive, so he just snapped and killed them. It's so There's so much more beyond that, just that, and what people think happened. So, we're going to go into John Christie now, and kind of what actually happened. During John Christie's childhood, he was unpopular among his fellow classmates, and I forgot to give this warning, but fair warning, um, there is talk of a lot of violence, necrophilia, um, and assault and stuff like that coming up, so skip for the next two or three minutes if you don't want to listen to that part. So John Christie was violent and obsessed with sex and death. He was a hypochondriac, which, which means you're abnormally anxious about your health, and often exaggerated or faked illnesses to get attention. John Christie enlisted as a signalman in World War I, during which he was hospitalized after a mustard gas attack. He claimed to have been blinded during this attack, but no such records indicate that that condition for him ever existed. Throughout his life, he exaggerated his supposed blindness and even had a three-year period where he was mute and just did not talk for three years. On May 10, 1920, he married Ethel Waddington. Despite him being married, John Christie frequently cheated on his wife with prostitutes. It seemed to be that Ethel was staying with him out of fear. But after four years of marriage, John and Ethel separated and John moved to London. Despite the separation, John and his wife reconciled in November 1933 after John had gotten out of prison for a number of petty criminal offenses, including stealing from a postman and a car and assaulting a prostitute. Despite the reconciliation, John continued to seek out prostitutes to fulfill his violent fantasies, including necrophilia. If you don't know what necrophilia is... Just go look it up. I don't want to have to be the one to explain that to you. Um, it's really dark and disturbing. In December 1938, with the, the brink of World War II on the rise, the couple moved into a flat on 10 Rillington Place, where the Evans family lived. Now, we're going to take a step back and rewind a bit, back to when Beryl Evans was pregnant 
with their second child, which they cannot take care of and wanted to secretly abort the baby. John Christie told the couple that he could help them abort the child. While Timothy was at work, John took Beryl and used a special gas to incapacitate her, after which he strangled and raped her post-mortem. When Timothy returned home, John told him that Beryl had died during the procedure and that they needed to hide her body, which they did. And Timothy seemingly helped with that. John convinced Timothy to leave and to go stay with some relatives and leave Geraldine in his care so he could lay low for a few days, which he did. Timothy returned several times trying to see Geraldine, but John wouldn't allow it, and now we know why. He had done the same thing to Geraldine that he had done to Beryl. And then Timothy went to the police, and we know how the rest of the story goes. But it seems that Timothy's um, original confession matches up in some ways with what um, police, after the fact, are theorizing happened. After Timothy had been killed and, I guess, executed, John Christie just went about his life and continued to murder more women, including his own wife. In 1953, John moved out of the flat he was living in at the time of Beryl and Geraldine's murder, and the new tenant discovered bodies hidden in a wallpapered cover coal cellar in the kitchen. The authorities were called, and a nationwide manhunt ensued for John Christie. Three days later, John called the News of the World and arranged to meet with a reporter for an exclusive interview after which he agreed to hand himself over to the police. That interview never took place, though, because he got spooked by two cops who arrived while he was waiting. For a while, he just traveled around England and slept on park benches. A cop did recognize him in a park and asked if he was John Christie, which he confirmed that he was, and he was arrested right there and then. While in prison... John confessed to the murders of all the people found in his cellar, which I will go over their names later, including Beryl Evans. But he never said he murdered Geraldine, but public opinion finds him guilty for her murder, which I agree with. At trial, John was found guilty, and his own lawyer even called him a maniac and a madman. On July 15, 1953, John Reginald Christie was hung in the same execution chamber as Timothy Evans. At his execution, he complained that he couldn't scratch his nose because his arms were tied up, but the executioner comforted him by saying, it won't bother you for too long. Which, kind of dark, but... In 1966, Timothy Evans was given a pardon, which was far too late, might I add. And the conviction of Timothy Evans is recognized in the UK to have been one of the most notorious, if not the most notorious, miscarriages of justice. But I also think it's important to recognize the several victims of John Christie as well, even though this story wasn't necessarily focused on them. These were all the people that were found in his wallpaper-covered room. Ruth First was 21, Muriel Eady was 31, Beryl Evans was 20, 
Geraldine Evans was 13 months old. Ethel Christie was 54. Rita Nelson was 25. Kathleen Maloney was 26. And Hectoring McLennan was 26. Um, now, kind of to give my opinion on the case itself. Um, one thing I feel like I should clarify when I was talking about the like layout of the flats earlier, what I was confused about was how Geraldine and um, Beryl were found in Timothy's apartment, but also kind of found in um, in John Christie's apartment as well. So what I can tell from stories and pictures and what little I could find, it seemed to be that um, John Christie and the Evans family weren't neighbors. They shared that same wall, and that wall was hollowed out, and that's where he kept the bodies. And so I find it likely that he might have just hidden them and kind of maybe got it to a point where the bodies were found in that apartment instead of his own, if that makes sense, since their flats, apartments were close together. Anyways, as far as my opinion goes, many still think that Timothy Evans isn't completely innocent, that he was still involved with at least maybe Geraldine's murder. I don't see that happening personally. Um, I think John Christie killed both Geraldine and Beryl. Um, was Timothy Evans an accomplice of sorts in Beryl's murder since he helped hide the body, which I completely believe that he did? Um, he was a dr- he was drunk all the time and he was abusive, and I think him like his focus was completely on himself. So the fact that his wife had died from this illegal abortion. He was thinking about himself in the moment, like, I have to hide her body so I don't get caught. I do think he participated in that part, but I don't think he participated in killing her um, or his child, but he was executed anyways. So, yeah, not completely innocent in my opinion, but innocent of what he was convicted and executed for, absolutely in my opinion. Anyways, that is the story of the murder of Beryl and Geraldine Evans and the wrongful conviction and execution of Timothy Evans. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm so happy to be back. Um, if you want to go follow us on our Instagram, it's at but did they do it pod so you can see all the pictures that I've been kind of talking about throughout the episode. Definitely go take a look at that and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Bye guys.